0: Well, again, we're going to be taking a look at Mark 6 this morning, so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Mark 6. I'm going to read the first six verses for us, and and as we always do uh, here at MCN, whenever we read from the Gospels, we invite everyone to stand. So if you're physically able this morning, I would like to invite you to stand with me as I read uh, from the NIV, the New International Version. This is Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. A prophet without honor. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Father, again, we thank you for the truth and power of your word, and we simply pray this morning you would speak the truth of your word to our hearts, help us to understand what you are saying, and help us to respond in obedience. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a quick look at this text, and, and you can see this is about uh, faith versus a lack of faith, or, or belief versus unbelief. Now, obviously, we live on this side of the resurrection, so we would never be guilty of unbelief, right? No, not us. That, that would never be us. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know he is the Chosen One. Yes, in spite of the fact that he was born into poverty, we know that Jesus is the Son of God, and we believe. We believe, right? But I would guess that, that many of you, just like me, <laughs> have been Guilty at times of unbelief somewhere along your Christian journey. We've all been there. There are many times in our lives where, where we have a tendency to to demonstrate a, a lack of faith or, or or unbelief, and we like to make excuses. Right? We we like to say, "Oh well, I'm not smart enough, or, or I don't know the Bible well enough, or or I'm just not good enough. I, I'm, I'm not a people person, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. We, we, we like to make excuses. Um, but the text is clear this morning um, that God can't do much with us if we don't believe. You know, every one of us is called uh, to serve in God's kingdom in some way. And, and I understand um, where we're at today with the pandemic. You know, ministry and service to others may need to look different than what we're used to. I understand that. Maybe you're still trying to figure figure out what that looks like for you. I understand it's a challenge um, but the fact remains that we're called to that, right? We're, we're called to serve. And the question I have is, how are you doing with that? How's that going for you? Are you guilty of unbelief in your call to ministry and service? Are you listening to the voice of God in that respect? You know, when I was a, a college student, um, I, I know I told this story before, so for, forgive me for those who, who've heard this before. Um, when I was a college student, uh, between my junior and senior year, I was preparing to go on a, on a long-term missions trip over to Russia for, uh, for 11 weeks to, to plant a church over there. And there was about, I don't know, 75 uh, college students from across the country. They, they brought us out to, to Phoenix, Arizona for a week of training, and, and one day they took us to this, this high-ropes Course, um, place and, and every one of us had to accomplish, had to overcome one of these high ropes obstacles. And, and you didn't get to choose which one <laughs> you, you got to overcome. It was chosen for you. There, were, there were two obstacles that absolutely terrified me. And I was praying I would not be chosen for one of those two. Well, of course, I was chosen for, for number two. Um, it's a high ropes obstacle called the catwalk. So this was simply three. Um, telephone poles if you will I don't know eight 10 inches in diameter 40 feet straight up 40 feet across and 40 feet straight down the the vertical posts had pegs on the side so my my simple task was to scale up the one side walk across the 40foot beam and scale down the other side no problem right so now of course you' you' you're, you're, you're Tethered in, you're harnessed in. There's a rope. There's a steel cable running. I don't know, ten feet above that, above that catwalk. Where if you fall, you you are not gonna fall 40 feet to the ground. I'm I'm tethered in and connected to an instructor on on the bottom. So if I do fall off, he can lower me to the ground. So I start climbing up the pole. I I, I have a a great fear of heights. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that. If actually my my great fear is falling from great heights, I, I'm okay being up high as long as I know I'm not gonna fall. The fall is what terrifies me. So I, I scale up the, the 40 feet and get to the top and I and I step out onto the pole. I take two two or three steps and I start to lose my balance and I just I just freeze. I just freeze, I'm 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 terrified that I'm gonna fall. Again, I'm I, I can't die. I'm te- I'm tethered in. But somehow that doesn't eliminate the fear in any way. I'm still terrified that I'm going to fall. And all, all, the, all my peers below are saying, come on, Gary, you can do it. They're cheering me on. You can do it. You know what? That, that meant nothing to me. That, that did nothing for me. But there was one voice. There was one voice that I heard that I was paying attention to. Who, whose voice was that? My My instructor the one who, who literally has my life in his hands. He, he says to me, Gary, don't look down. Stay focused on where you want to go, and don't stop walking. Just keep going. Stay focused on where you're going to go, and you will get there. And sure enough, I stand up. I don't look down. <laughs> I look at the end of that pole where I want to go. I walk across those, those 40 feet, slowly but steadily, scale down the other side, boom, done. His voice, my instructor's voice, was what got me to the other side. Many of us hear God's voice, but we're too afraid, afraid. we're paralyzed with fear. Um, We question and doubt our own ability or even God's ability to use us. But we need to simply listen to his voice, which is leading us and telling us which way we want to go and just trust him. Jesus came to show that, that God didn't want men and women of superhuman ability. God just wanted men and women who would believe in him, who would believe in his power and plan for their lives. And, and scripture tells us that even when you are weak, by believing in God, then you are made strong. So, so let's take a closer look at this text this morning. This, this um. Passage, the first six verses of Mark really is setting the stage for what is to follow in verses 7 to 13. And what we're going to see here is a lesson in rejection. Jesus is really teaching his disciples a lesson in rejection. Um, Jesus brings his disciples with him back to his hometown of Nazareth because he wants them to see this. He he wants them to see the rejection because what's going to follow, they're, they're about to be sent out to the surrounding towns and villages. And they too are about to experience rejection just like Jesus is experiencing rejection in his own hometown. Jesus, he references this in verse 11 where he says, shake the dust off your feet, right, as you leave. In other words, just as they did not accept me or believe in me or listen to me, so many will not listen to you and not believe you and not accept you. So, so I think what Mark is making clear for us is that unbelief is the context into which the Christian mission advances. Mark's making that clear. Mark's initial readers, the the first to receive record of all that Jesus had said and done, they they would have been helped by this observation. They, They would have been encouraged by this. Why is that true? Because they themselves... At, in the first century, are are at this crossroads between their their strong and active faith, their belief, um, against a culture that is, <laughs> uh, in very stark reality, uh, a harsh unbelief of the surrounding cultures. They would have been greatly helped by this. This this would have been a huge encouragement to them to hear this. So, there's three words that that I want to highlight that that I want us to notice in this passage this morning, and and the first first of those words is amazed. We see that right there in verse 2, amazed. You know, it's interesting because in the community, Jesus was known as the carpenter's son. He hadn't written any books. He didn't come from a rabbinical background. Um, he didn't have any formal training. Now, he did have a group of disciples, which would have been typical of a, ra- of a rabbi. But, but the group that he had assembled... <laughs> um, well, this was certainly an interesting bunch. Um, they certainly uh, didn't have the credentials that would have made people sit, sit up and say, wow, what, what an impressive group of individuals this is. No, quite the opposite. Fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, really, this is a ragtag group of guys that, that Jesus has put together and, and brought into town here. So while it's true that many who heard him speak were amazed, that's not necessarily to say, that they were impressed. Because you you can be amazed without being impressed. You can be amazed without something having a a lasting impression on you going forward. And if you continue on in verse 2, the amazed in the crowd begin to ask a few probing questions. Where where did he come up with this stuff? Where where does this wisdom come from? How, How is he able to perform these miracles? Because for the folks in Nazareth... Jesus was just the local boy. The, the, these are people who grew up with him. They, they played with him. They went to school with him. They hung out at the mall with him. Right? There was nothing about him or his family that would have suggested anything other than he was completely ordinary. Nothing special. Just one of the guys. I always think about um, my, my days coaching Little League Baseball. My son Malachi So one of the the kids that was his exact same age, they played the same years together. Um, That boy's father um, was a Major League Baseball player. And, And I'm always impressed with, some of you will recognize the name, born and raised here in Manchester, you'll recognize the name Bill Massey, played for the New York Yankees, right? He went to Georgia Tech University, was the college baseball player of the year in 1987, played on the 1988 U.S. Olympic team, drafted by the New York Yankees. So I'm always impressed and amazed with, wow, Bill Massey, New York Yankees. I'm a a baseball fan. And it's funny because all the other guys, all the other coaches in town, are born and raised here in Manchester. And they always give me a hard time. They're like, Gary, it's just Billy. We went to school together. We played ball together. We hung out at the mall together. It's It's just Billy. To all the other coaches who grew up here in town with Billy, he's just one of the guys. I'm amazed and impressed because he's, wow, New York Yankee. But to those who, who know him or who are familiar with him, Gary, it's just Billy. He's just, he's just one of the guys. That's what's going on here. For the folks in Nazareth, Jesus is, is just one of the guys. He's nobody special. He, 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 he's just one of us. He's just one of the guys. And their familiarity with him made it harder, not easier, for them to truly believe in him and place their faith and trust in him. So Jesus acknowledges in verse 4, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. So, So the hometown crowd is amazed at Jesus, but their familiarity with him as just an ordinary carpenter from Galilee keeps them from truly believing in him. So the first word is amazed. The second word I want to highlight is offended. They they took offense at him, we read at the end of verse 3. Offended. You know, the questions are really meant as disparaging comments directed to Jesus. Isn't this just Mary's son? So so that question alone would have been an insult, because in Jewish culture, men were never referred to as sons of their mother. They were always referred to as sons of their father. So to say, isn't that just Mary's son? is a huge insult, a disparaging comment. It's, it's a slap in the face, really. And even if Mary's husband, even if Joseph has already passed and Mary's a widow at this point, which some commentators suggest that might have been going on, even if that's true, you still don't address a man as the son of his mother. He's always addressed as the son of his father. That would be an insult. Um, that would be a slap in the face. Disparaging comments. That's just Mary's son. He's just the carpenter. He's just the brother of James and Judas and the others. They're dismissing him. They're dismissing him. He's just one of of us. He's nobody special. Their familiarity with him is the basis for their rejection of him. I mean, think about this. Jesus has come, if you go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus declares. He then proceeds to, to, to cast out demons, to to heal uh lepers, to heal the lame and the blind, to calm the wind and and the seas and the storms. He triumphs over death. I mean, this is this is a pretty dramatic display that Jesus puts on in the first few chapters of Mark. And, and then he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and there he can't do anything. He can't do anything. He is able to triumph over death and the demons everywhere else, all over the place. But in his hometown, he is unable to overcome the unbelief of his own brothers and sisters. Amazing. Now that, that might be really troubling if we didn't have an Old Testament. <laughs> but we know what the Old Testament says about the, the prophet of God who was to come, right? Right? He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we esteemed him not. Or or as John puts it in his prologue, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So the people are amazed, and the people are offended. Who does he think he is? Coming back here and speaking like this is, as if he has some kind of authority. Who, who does he think he is? He's just one of us. He's nobody special. So amazed and offended. And that brings us to our third word this morning, which is deprived. Deprived. You, may, you may, might not see that word. is not um, listed there specifically in the text, but, but let me explain it for a minute, and then you'll see it actually really is there. Clearly, the news of, of Jesus' miracles had reached his hometown, and, and that's the backdrop against which he shows up um, to, to, to speak in the synagogue. And then we get to verse 5, uh, which says, Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Again, Jesus does these dramatic miraculous displays all over the place, comes back to Nazareth and can barely do anything at all. Hence the word deprived. On account of their unbelief, the folks in Nazareth are deprived of the signs and wonders of Jesus. On account of their unbelief, they were deprived. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Sunday after Sunday, Christians sit in worship services, hearing the word of God preached, and and would admit to being amazed. And many of those would also have to agree that they are offended. And some would even be honest enough to say that they are deprived. Deprived of any living, genuine faith in Jesus at all. And that's what Mark's describing for us here. Exactly what Mark's describing for us. Mark isn't drawing attention to the limitations of Jesus' power as if it's some kind of geographical issue. Oh, well, now that he's back in Nazareth, well, he doesn't have the same power. He can't do what he does everywhere else. It's a geographical problem. No, 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 no. Not a geographical problem. This was all about the people's unbelief. The hardness of their hearts, And their rejection of Jesus prevented them from receiving the healing ministry of Jesus. It prevented them from enjoying all the benefits of his kingly rule right there in their own town. Jesus doesn't force himself on a hostile crowd. Jesus doesn't force himself on a skeptical audience. He's he's not in town to do tricks, right? He's not in town to do tricks, Um, He's not in town to impress people by by putting on a show, right? He possesses all of this power, incredible supernatural power, but he doesn't work in such a way as, as to intrigue or entice some kind of fake response on the part of those who are hostile and skeptical. They will not listen to his words, and therefore they will not see the wonder of his works. When Mark says he could not do any miracles, he's not saying that that it would be physically impossible for Jesus to do so. No, of course not. We know he's capable of, of, of doing those things. But for Jesus to do so, it would have been inconsistent. This is what one commentator says, and I quote, where the kingdom of God is rejected, it is inappropriate for the king to bestow upon these unwilling subjects all of the benefits and blessings of his kingly rule. He is more than willing to grant them, but he is not going to grant them to the skeptic. You will never come to saving faith in Jesus from the vantage point of detached observation or superficial indifference, he writes. The king does not manifest himself to the hostile Or the skeptic. So as we come to the end of this text, we we read in verse 6 that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Have you ever thought about what Jesus would be amazed by? What what would amaze Jesus? I mean, it's kind of like the question, what what do you get as a Christmas present for the person who has everything? What what do you get them? They don't need anything. What, what would amaze Jesus? What, what would Jesus like? What would amaze him? The Bible actually answers that question for us. <laughs> there, there's only two times in all of Scripture where Jesus is amazed. One of those is, is right here in Mark 6. Where's the other one? Luke 7, the faith of the centurion. Right In, in that text, Jesus is amazed at the presence of someone's faith. And and here in our text in Mark 6, he is amazed at the lack or absence of someone's faith. Jesus was simply amazed by their lack of faith. He'd grown up before them. He lived among them. He's now returned to them, and he had preached for them. I mean, they had benefits that other people didn't have. They had access. They had insight because he was one of their own. They grew up with him. They had opportunities because they lived in Nazareth. You, you know, people, we, we like to hear stories of, of people who go from poverty to prosperity or, or royalty, right? Like we, we love the story of Cinderella, right? We, we, we love to hear stories like that. And it's really not that, it's not all that unusual, for folks in poverty, to hope for an escape from that only to be blessed with prosperity. But the people in Jesus' hometown, they didn't seem to think that way. They didn't seem to think that way. They figured that because Jesus was born into a carpenter family, there was no way that he could grow up to become the Messiah. He he, he was born into a carpenter family. that's, That's all that he could ever be. So when Jesus heals the lame and the sick, when he calms the, 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 the wind and the waves on the storm, when he casts out demons. It was just too difficult for people who knew him growing up to imagine him as anything but a carpenter from Nazareth. The trouble was that these people did not accept Jesus' teachings and miracles precisely because they thought they knew him, period. They thought they knew him. Familiarity. They were too familiar. I I think there's a point of application for us right here. Those of you who've grown up in church your whole life, who've been going to Sunday school for years, you've heard all the stories, and even, even experiencing the freedom of religion that we've had in this country. All of us who have responded to the urgings of family and friends to to respond to the good news of, of Jesus Christ who come to Sunday school and church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and have been amazed and offended and yet are still deprived. It's amazing to me it's amazing to me that I'll say tens of thousands of Christians, I believe, tens of thousands of Christians go to church every Sunday and listen and learn and just walk away. And they do that week after week, month after month, and some year after year. I think the term is called sitting on the fence. I think, I think that's the term that they use sitting on the fence. Maybe it's time to move off the fence. Maybe it's time to move off the fence. Why would someone continue to sit on the fence week after week, month after month, some year after year? I wonder if it's because you think your sin is too great. You've done something awful, you've made a mess of your life, and you're convinced that there's no way um, God could forgive you. You, you. you really believe you're beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I want you to know something. Your unfitness is your fitness. You, you don't go to the doctor when, you, when you're well. You go to the doctor when you're sick. It's, it's, it's your sickness that provides the basis for your healing. Your unfitness is your fitness. We're, we're all in that boat, folks, <laughs> all right? Because of the fact that we are unfit, that makes us fit, all right? So that logic doesn't work for me. Your unfitness is your, fir- is your fitness. Some of you might think you're actually excluded. Some of you believe you, you just don't belong. You're excluded. I'm not supposed to be in the group. I just don't belong. If that's you this morning, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to argue with, with you on that one, too. That is... Nonsense. That is nonsense. Because if you open your Bible, you'll see again and again that whoever comes to Jesus, he will never cast away. He will never cast away those who come to him in faith. You, you might say, you know what, there's just nothing good in me, there's nothing good about me. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> but Jesus has enough goodness for all of us Right? Jesus has all the goodness that you or I, you or I will ever need, and he, he simply says, just come as you are. Just come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't, have to, you don't have to be fit. I'll take care of all that. Come as you are. And when you do that, if and when you do that, you, you will experience the wonder and amazement of his redeeming love. I want to close this morning um, by reading from a sermon that is 150 years old. This is Charles Spurgeon. He preached this message from this text on, on Mark 6 in London on June 12, 1870. Still relevant today. And I quote Charles Spurgeon. There are some of you who know that Christ is God. You know he is able to save from sin. You know he is able to save you. And yet you are unsaved. And I marvel at your unbelief because you confess that it leaves you in a state of ruin and will land you in a state of everlasting confusion. You know you are filthy and that the fountain is open. Why then don't you wash? You know Christ will save you if you trust him. You know he is worthy of your trust. So why will you not trust him? In the name of everything that is reasonable, why not trust him? If everybody could just bow their heads and close their eyes just for a minute, nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, if there's anything you heard this morning with which you resonate not listening and obeying to the voice of God, sitting on the fence for months or longer, becoming too familiar with Jesus and all the Bible stories that you've become apathetic. If you can relate to any of those this morning and you want to declare that you want to place your full faith and trust in Jesus. Would you just really quickly lift your head and make eye contact with me and then you can put your head right back down. Thank you, I see your eyes. Thank you, I see your eyes. Thank you, You can put your head down. Thank you, I see your eyes. Thank you, you can put your head down. Thank you, thank you, you can put your head down. I see your eyes. Thank you, thank you. God bless you, you can put your head back down. Thank you, I see your eyes. Thank you. I see your eyes. You can put your head back down. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for my sisters and brothers this morning who want to be people of faith. Father, would you increase their faith as they place their full faith and trust in you. Father, I pray you would bless them with the wonder of your redeeming love. Father, I thank you that we um, have each other. Father, we have your Holy Spirit, but you've given us each other as well. So Father, help us to be an encouragement to one another by how we pray for one another, how we reach out to one another, how we encourage one another and lift each other up. Father, would you increase our faith? Father, we pray, we desire that you would be amazed at the presence of our faith in these days. And Father, again, for all that you do and for all that you are, we give you our thanks, our praise, our love, and our worship because you alone are worthy of it. And we pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Would you stand and allow me to bless you? you the benediction from 1 Thessalonians. May, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, put you together, spirit and soul, body and mind, and make you fit for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is both faithful and dependable, And he will do this. Now go in his grace and his strength today. Amen. God bless you.